Hey, what's up? This is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today we have in the studio Carrie Hardwick-Dolly. She is the creative publishing director at Essential Music Publishing, but has worn a lot of hats in Nashville. She's worked in radio promotions, she's worked in A&R, and now she's back in publishing at Essential. So she has a lot of wisdom to share. Over the course of her career, she's had the chance to work with artists like Mandisa, Carrie Job, Francesca Battistelli, Third Day, songwriters like Jason Ingram, Casey Brown, Paul Mabry, Mia Fields, and many, many more. A lot of who you've already heard on the Full Circle Music Show. And if you have not heard interviews with them, go back and look at our past episodes. Jason's been on the show. Mia's been on the show. Casey's been on the show. And so there's a lot you can learn from there. But Carrie has worked with pretty much all of them. So you're going to learn a lot from what it's been like for her to have her journey through the music industry and not only just through the music industry, but for her going through it as a girl. You may have noticed by now that we haven't had a lot of girls on the Full Circle Music Show. And quite frankly, that has nothing to do with us trying to just interview guys. It has a lot to do with the fact that this is a very male-dominated industry. So we dive into that a little bit in the conversation as well. But before we dive in, check out this little message about the Music Production Mastery Course. Hi, I'm looking for the next big music producers I can add to our Grammy-winning team. And I've created a course to help you 10x your music productions instantly. Music Production Mastery. I show you how we do things like programming, drum, bass, and guitar production, getting pro vocals, editing, post-production, mixing, Logic Pro, and Pro Tools. Who can I help? One, music makers who are driven and passionate. Two, beginners and experts. You don't need tons of experience, but you at least have to be teachable. Three, you must be making great music or at least aspiring to. That's all. So why would I be giving away my secrets? Well, first, I love to teach. Secondly, I am actively looking for talent. Take a moment to enroll in the course and you'll be on your way to better sounding music productions right away. For info about that course, text PRODUCE, P-R-O-D-U-C-E, to the numbers 44222. Text PRODUCE to the numbers 44222, and we will email you some information about the Music Production Mastery course. So before we jump into the interview, I should let you know that me and Carrie were just having a conversation in our studio one day, and I kind of just hit record. So what you're hearing is like you just walked into the room and sat down and got to be a fly on the wall in one of our conversations. And we were talking about how she is married to an artist, just got married to an artist about a year ago, which she said she swore she'd never do. But we're talking a little bit about that and what that's like and her coming from the label side and her husband being on the artist side. So you're walking in to that part of the conversation. So here we are in the studio. So this is an interesting conversation because you come from the label side. So you have this understanding of what it's like on the other side of the thing. Because you're, you know, you and your husband, obviously, he's doing the artist thing. But you bring that to the table just in terms of your experience of knowing what it's like to be on the label side. Mm -hmm. And you probably know better than anybody that there really has to be something there, whether or not it's not even a question of good or bad or better or best. It's just like, is there a thing that comes straight from the artist that sometimes I don't work at a label and I never have, 
but sometimes, at least my perception is that nowadays we as creatives and as artists really need to bring something that has its own identity even before the label gets on board oh, with yeah. it. Absolutely. I think as an industry, as a Christian music industry, we have gone through a season of time where we haven't been great at that. And I think we've succumbed to the pressure of like, we have to sound like this. We have to write songs that sound like this. And I think in the past three years, I've seen artists that have been successful and they've broken the mold of that. And so I think that is only going to continue the cycle of inspiring people to make art that is is different, but also commercial. Yeah. You know, it's that is the key combination because I know a lot of artists who are extremely talented and they aren't commercial. And it's like, they want this thing that is super arty to be successful in the same way that a Casting Crowns, a Third Day, a Francesca, a Lauren Daigle is. And it's never going to be that because it's a completely different audience you're trying to reach than those people. Talk it's, about that a little more, because what is, I mean, a lot of people that listen to our show may not even know what that means. What is arty and what is commercial to you? To me, I mean, that is the thing. It's completely subjective. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I mean, that's a great question. I think there's probably not a black and white answer to that. But I think one thing you should know as an artist, like as you were saying it is important to have a strong identity artistically, period. If you're mm -hmm. an artist, that's your calling. Have a strong identity of who you are, what you want to say, and what you want to sound like, period. That's yeah. You should start with that foundation. And then if you want to go the route of such and such artist or another artist, then you take a wider step out. And you take a look of like, okay, what kind of tools do I need? Here's my sound. Here's what I want to say. Here's what I do. What kind of tools do I need to take it to this next step that this artist has done as this artist has done? Do I need a radio single? If I do, you know, what's working on radio? How can I take my unique sound that I do and make it into something that works for radio? Yeah. So it is, a, it is a blend. It is a... I think it is a mix of the commercial and the artistics. But if you just want to stay in this like... I'm super arty. I write poems that only really intelligent people can understand, you know, or, you know, you're making music for the masses if you're trying to have a tool that works for radio. If that's your goal, you're speaking to the masses. So, you, you know, you have to think about your audience and when you're writing it. But a step deeper than that, you have to keep your identity as an artist, as you're writing those songs that fit into this mold. So it is very difficult to do, but yeah. that's the key. It's like, keep what you do that makes you so special and write something that fits into this mold, you know? And that's totally. the challenge of what you do as a writer and a producer. And yeah. that's the challenge that I do looking to sign writers and looking to sign artists. It's, it's trying to find someone who has that special thing, but also wants to work with the right producers that can bring the right things out of them and work with the right partner, whether it's a label or a publishing company, you know, and really trust that partner. And it's the blend of the two that I think can carry it to the next level. So it's totally. Just so it's interesting because you, you were one of the first people that I met. You probably don't even know that when I moved to Nashville. Yeah, I remember you were in a band. Yeah, I was in a band. I was signed to Word where you were at the yep. time in publishing. Yep. Worked with Chad Segura then, right? Yep. So it's funny. It's just a, everything. Totally. You know, when I met you, so you were working in publishing and you've had kind of 
quite a journey even since then. Yeah. But I'd love to sort of just hear your backstory just because sure. mean, it's funny enough. Sometimes when I sit down to these podcasts, I know the people really well. Yeah. So it's like we're just diving in even deeper. But yeah, I'd love to hear your story literally just from square one. I mean, did, yeah. how did you get into music? Yeah. How did you get to Nashville? Sure. The whole thing. Well, I was born in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> I became a Christian in college and I was already studying music. And whenever I became a Christian, it was clear that I wanted to do something that was not just for entertainment's sake, but something that I felt like was something bigger than myself. And so I kind of got the Christian. I didn't even know what Christian music was until I was in college. Never heard of Christian music. And so when I was in college, had this revelation, I want to be in Christian music. I was like, where do you go if you want to be in Christian music? Well, you have to go to Nashville. So I literally, after graduated, just packed up and moved to Nashville out of faith and just felt like this is where I was supposed to go. I didn't where, know. where are you from? Originally? I'm from Southern Illinois. College there? I went to Millican University, which is a small fine arts school in Decatur, Illinois. Very nice. Musical theater is their number one major. So Was that what you were doing? No, I studied commercial music, which is basically music business with some performance emphasis. So Awesome. I did the songwriting thing. I did the performance thing. I wasn't very good at it, but at as least you I, as an artist. Yes. Can I yeah. find YouTube videos? No, you can't. Thank God. <laughs> this is before YouTube. I'm so grateful. <laughs> yeah, I have. You can't even find it, but there is a senior project of mine somewhere out there that. I'm gonna I've, find it by the time we air this episode. You won't find it. It's gonna I've be like I've literally paid music. my parents like. Do not let anyone have their... Make sure it's done. Yeah. (laughs) Like, all my credibility as someone who knows good songs will go out the window, but... That's awesome. Yeah, but I know how awkward it feels to be, like, thrown in a room with someone and write a song. At least I know how awkward that is. Yeah. It can be, anyway. So, anyway, yeah, I moved here and out of college, didn't know anybody, literally didn't know one person, and was going to get an internship. And so, I started applying for internships and soon figured out that in order to get internship at like one of the bigger companies you had to be in college and you had to get college credit well i just graduated college so i was like oh shoot and this internship popped up at way fm which is a christian radio station here in nashville and i had no idea the connection of radio to the label zero i knew nothing about it i just thought well this is something at least music related so i'll at least be surrounded by music and surrounded by people who love music And so I did an internship for the morning show there for like six months. Mm. And I remember I was also working two jobs in retail just to pay my rent and, you know, just trying to make my way in Nashville. And it was a tough time. Back then, it felt like an eternity that I just didn't know. You know, you graduate from college, you have all these expectations of be able to like get a job and provide for myself and then you're working at the mall I'm like this is super humbling and what am I doing here and I remember literally the week before my internship was over I was just like okay god I'm in Nashville I don't know anybody I'm working at the mall and my internship's about to end like what are you doing (laughs) and the next day it was Mark Lee from Third Day came in the next morning for a radio interview hmm. on Way FM. And he had this person with him that was his radio promoter. His name was Phil Connor. And I remember just talking to this radio promoter and I was like, hey, like, I'm looking for a job. If you know of any openings at Provident, like, let me know. This is about to be done. He's like, actually, I do. Come by the office next week and I'll give you a tour and you can meet my boss. And so I went on a tour 
And literally, like, I'm on a tour. So it's like, this is where radio is. This is where A&R is. And <laughs> as I'm on this tour, I meet Andrew Patton, who's the head of radio at the time. And I met him for, like, two minutes. And the next day, I got a call. And it's like, hey, Andrew wants to meet with you about this job. It was a job in radio promotions. Phil was actually leaving radio. He knew that he was leaving. So he was trying to help them find someone to take his place. And... The next week I got hired at Provident. Wow. <laughs> so Do it in the radio department. I did, yeah. I did radio promotions for four years. Wow. And then Chad Segura stole me away and I did publishing for two years at Word. And then Brad O'Donnell stole me away and I did AR for Capital for about three and a half, four years. And then ended up back at Provident. And have been back at Provident for about two and a half years, back in publishing, so signing writers. and. So you were at Provident on the radio side, and now Provident on the publishing side. Yep, full circle. <laughs> it's really strange. How does that feel? You know, the first day was really weird. I'm like, this is like deja vu, except I'm 14 years older. And at least I have a little bit of... I mean, I had no idea what I was doing day one the first time. At least the second time, I knew some people, had a clue of what I was doing, and... I it's, imagine it would feel, does it feel like going back to your old high school or something? A little bit, except, you know, a lot of different people there. Right. And I'm in publishing. Like when I was there the first time, there wasn't a publishing division. So Because it was at Brownwood Benson? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was cool. I mean, it was kind of a spiritual moment for me where God was like kind of giving me a reset of like, wow. let's start this new season. I met my husband the week before I started my new job at Provident. And so it was like literally just a reset button of like, here's some things you've been praying for. Here's a job, you know, with some opportunity for you different than what you've been doing in the past. And here is a man that you've been praying for. So it's like, yeah. reset, here we go. Every, and, just fresh start. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So I want to rewind. How does one steal you from one label to another? Well, I mean, more of like when I was in radio, I was just so grateful to, I mean, I would have been a janitor at a label. I would have done anything to get in. And so I was just so grateful to be there. And it was such a great like position to learn because when you're in radio, you're attached to the marketing plan. You're attached to artist managers. You actually get to travel with the artists and you get to take them station to station. And then you're also at the forefront of hearing songs that either work or don't work on radio. So I didn't realize how much that would really train my ear or educate me on Christian radio. I had no idea. But my goal whenever I was in college and became a Christian, my goal was always to be in the creative side of Christian music. I always felt, I've always felt a calling to help creatives. I've always felt like that is what I'm supposed to do. I'm here on earth to be a connector of people and to help build up creative people and support them. So when I was in radio, you know, I was drinking from a fire hose, just learning so much about the industry and about, you know, three years in, it was kind of like, okay, I kind of got back to like, what was my original intention of getting to this industry? I'd never met Chad Segura before, but a guy named Connor Farley worked at Provident and had gone over from Provident to Word. And so when this position opened up at Word, Connor threw my name in the hat. And so that's how that happened. And Connor, that and Connor just, was the first guy. That, Connor was the one that recommended me for that job. Yeah. And then Brad 
when I was at Word and publishing, I mean, part of my job in publishing is to meet with A&R people, meet with managers. I mean, you're constantly just like promoting your writers, promoting your songs to other people. And so you meet with a lot of people. And so in meeting with Brad, we just became friends and got to know each other and worked well together. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for him and his song years and his artist years. And, and A&R like was really what I thought was my end goal. I thought that was it. And so when he offered me that job, it was like an opportunity that I had been praying for since mm-hmm. those college days. So it was yeah. really surreal and grateful for it. Super grateful. Sure. So being back in publishing now, what is, I guess, are there things that you like about publishing better now? Or do you just feel like it's a kind of a seasonal thing? Yes. No, I think, you know, starting off in publishing when I was working at Word, it was kind of like similar to my time at Provident in radio, I was just learning so much about what it means to be a good publisher. And I think that two years was so important for me to be able to be an A&R person when I was, because I met so many producers, I met so many writers. But in the time that I had an A&R, like making records was so much fun. It's, I will say, I think the perk of being in publishing as it relates to my personality and what I feel like my skill set is, is that there's less limitations, if Mm. that makes sense. Like for me to support songwriters, I get to go wherever the song takes me. And so sometimes that's a sync song. Sometimes that's a radio song. Sometimes that's a worship song. Sometimes that's a pop song. Sometimes that's a country song. So I love, one of my favorite things to do is to meet a new writer or even a writer that's been doing it for a while and like really look at what their skill set is and try and place them in opportunities that they haven't been in where they can use their skill set. Mm. You know, so it, if that makes sense, it's just a little bit of a bigger box to play in, you know, whereas an artist, they have a smaller box. Like if you've created your sound and you've created your style, like you can adapt that, you can grow that as you should, but there's always going to be like a smaller field you can play in. Whereas a writer, you can write, you can write with a rock leaning artist. You can write with a, you know, right. an inspirational artist. You can write with a polka artist if you sure. want. So there's just. <laughs> Sorry if that freaked you out. We have this crazy for our listeners. We have this uh, coffee machine in our studio that we've nicknamed R two D two. Apparently, it thinks someone's thirsty right now. It's it's actually cleaning itself. Oh, so okay. It's it's at least a very sanitary That's coffee good. maker. So That's really it's good. made it in several of our podcasts. Oh, good. Hey, R two D two. So that's awesome. So you've, I mean, just to name a few of the artists. I mean, you've worked with Mandisa, Carrie Job, Francesca Battistelli, Third Day, Jars of Clay, Casting Crowns, and on the writer side, you know, Jason Ingram, Paul Mayberry, Mia Fields, Jonathan Smith, Casey Brown several of who we've had on this show. What do you feel like your role is as a publisher? Because I've asked several publishers this question. What, yeah. what what makes a good publisher? Yeah. You know, and you've been obviously had the experience now being at Provident. You were a word before. Yeah. What do you think makes a good publisher? Well, I think a few things. I think one thing that you need to do, or at least I think you need to do as a publisher, is to look at each writer individually Instead of just like putting them through the same system of like, oh, I've signed a new writer. Okay, let's put them through the same whatever that you put the other new writers through. It's it's looking at each writer individually and figuring out like what are their passions? Like what is God telling them as far as like where are they wanting to go? Mm -hmm. And like how can I help them get there? And if I can't help them get there, 
who can I connect them with that can help them get there? Sure. And if I haven't signed them yet and they're telling me what their passions are and where they're trying to go, and I know that that's not my skill set, like having the wherewithal to be like, okay, I'm not the right partner for you, but maybe here are some people that would be good for you to talk to. So I think it's just treating each writer differently, looking at their skill set and bringing them opportunity. I think one of my favorite things to do as I've gotten older and been in the industry for however many years, I have realized one of my favorite things to do is to connect people. Like mm. I love connecting people and like, as you know, as it relates to publishing, it's like I hear a writer and like I hear what they're great at. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if this writer connect with this writer, I know that magic would happen. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong. But it's just fun to kind of put those puzzle pieces together and see like amazing songs come out of it. And I'm not in the room. I have little to do with it. But just that connecting of people. I love being a part of that. And yeah, so that's definitely part of it. And then I think publishing is sometimes like watching paint dry <laughs> because, you know, when I was in radio, I could judge how well I was doing by how many ads I was getting on a song, how far it was getting up at the radio charts. And it was changing each week. It was different. Each month it was different. Whereas nowadays I can set up a co-write three months later, it might get recorded on a record. Six months later, the record comes out. Then six months later, we start seeing money from it. So anything that I do today, I'm not going to see the fruit of it for another year, (laughs) you know? So I think sometimes it's hard to stay motivated in an environment like that. And I think the biggest thing for publishers is to stay active, to stay Mm. connected, to continually meet new people outside of your own industry, see how things are working for them. And that's one thing I've loved. And it's been opportunities that have come because of the songs that my writers are writing. Like I'm only as good as the songs that my writers are writing. Like Mm -hmm. those open doors. I don't open doors. Like great songs open doors. So I use these great songs as tools that then benefit my writers to hopefully open another door, hopefully open doors and doors and doors. So that's my goal is to, to connect people and just to continually, hopefully meet people that can in turn help my writers fulfill their dreams, keep growing, just like me and my career. Like I wanna keep growing in my career. I wanna keep moving. And I know that writers of all different experience levels, they want to do the same. And Mm. so as this music industry shrinks, I have to be creative and think of, okay, I have 10 staff writers. How can I look at all these 10 staff writers who have all different skill sets? How can I look at them and grow each of them to a place where next year, they're having more success than they were the year before or having more opportunities or or not even necessarily financially, but like feel like they're moving in the direction of what they feel like their calling is and what they feel like they're passionate about. So talk about because I'm interested to know this just on our show. We haven't had my wife kind of pointed this out. So she's like, you need to have more girls on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I promise that has not been intentional. That's just there's not as many. many. Yeah. There's not as many in the industry. Yeah. Well, number one, why do you think that is? Yeah. And two, is it hard, harder, easier being a girl in the industry? What? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Cause <laughs> even if I did think so, I probably wouldn't say. <laughs> but there aren't a lot of female leaders in our industry. It's something that I've thought about a lot. I don't know that I've 
come to some conclusion of where I figured it out of why. I mean, I think if you look at the corporate world in general, there are less female leaders than male leaders. It's just just kind of the way it is. I've seen a lot of great females kind of continuing to rise in our industry, which makes me really happy. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I have an answer for that or at least not one that I'm willing to like put my name to that this is, this is confidently how I feel that people can go back and listen to you over and over again. But, right. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more asking you from, yeah, I had a daughter two years ago. And if my daughter comes to me one day and says, dad, I'm thinking about going in the music business. Yeah. You know, what do I tell her? What, yeah. What would, what should I tell her? Yeah. I think if, if that's something that's on her heart, I think God's going to open and close doors accordingly like he did for me. But as far as like, I think just in general, being a woman in a professional environment, like there are things that women bring to the table that add value that just like there are things that men bring to the table that add value that we are very different from each other. Mm -hmm. And I think a weakness that happens in a corporate environment is that I think as a whole, women are kind of expected to act like men Mm. and respond like men because that's the way we have been trained of like, this is what a corporate environment should look like. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we should like, allow like crying and (laughs) things that you, you know, but I do think a more emotional side of approaching different things, different topics, different meetings, relationships, a softer side or however you want to say it. I do think there's value to the way women approach things. So instead of women being trained to act like men in professional environments, I'd love to figure out a way for women to figure out how to, to be women in a professional environment that is adding value and being encouraged, if that makes sense. And I think there are some situations where that is encouraged. And I think there are some situations where that's not. And my sister, my twin sister works in advertising. Mm. And that is like a cutthroat industry, especially for females. And and we've probably, what's the name of that show? Mad Men. Mad Men, yeah. I mean, she says that that show is pretty right on as far as like, you know, when women are passionate about what they do sometimes it comes across as it's like feminist right yeah some you know like oh she's a bad word that starts with the b or you know like but if a man is passionate about what he does it's like oh like that's a really positive thing you know what i'm saying so it's it's the different approach and like people read a woman's passion about something different than they read a man's passion about something where at the end of the day like both of them are just as important and both of them are just as valuable especially for christian music we're in an industry where most of our consumers are females and so it's very important i think to have a female perspective in in conversations as it relates to to marketing and that's probably new to a lot of our listeners that you know most of our demographic is a female listener base I mean, you've been in radio before. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I think it probably relates to, like, statistically why there's more females attending churches than mm. men. And I honestly don't know. Yeah. I, you know. There may not be an answer to it. Yeah. I guess just our, you know, like, rock music tends to be male-driven and lots of male listeners. And for Christian music, I think maybe something about the way females connect to a Christian lyric, you know? Yeah. So it's, I mean, we do need that. We need, obviously, if that's the industry that we're working in, we need yeah. more women in it. Yeah. Because well, it's the same on the business side, the same on the writer side, too. I mean, mm-hmm. we have Mia Fields, and there's this new writer, Lindsay Sweat, that we're working with, and Molly Reed is a great example of a female writer in our industry. But outside mm-hmm. of that, 
there's way more male writers than female yeah. writers, you know, and it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, we're writing songs for a lot of females. Like, totally. Why and, don't we and, put more females in the room? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Me and every other male, we're just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're married, so you're like, you're educated by I'm a direct a, contact. I'm married and I have a daughter, so there you I, go. I understand it a little bit better now. But yeah. if, on the same token, I, I totally agree with you that I, I wish there was more yeah. in it. And I, I think... You know, I think it's an American thing because my wife's from Sweden and it's very progressive in terms of women's rights. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people would call them a feminist country. Yeah. And probably by a lot of standards, in American standards, that is the case. But yeah. there's something that I do love about that where yeah. you can have just as much opportunity and just as much success and room to work as any male in totally. the industry. So. And I know we've come a long way as a country, but I still think there might be some some room to grow for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So that was a little bit of a side side no, tangent yeah. because girl power. Yeah, girl power. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hashtag girl power. Hashtag girl power. That's awesome. So okay, so you're back in publishing now. Yes. What are some of the things? Because everybody's always freaked out about streaming's the new thing. Yes. Like, how do we make our money? And you, you were talking about how it's like watching paint dry and it yes. takes a long time. Yes. You might get paid six months after streaming. It's even longer, right? Because it's just yeah. like tons of tiny little, yeah. you know, half a cent here, half a right. cent there. And we make less money on the song side than people make on the master side. So. so what are some of the things that you're having to do now to adapt with that? I think more opportunity. Like... We're still figuring out what that's going to look like and how that impacts our bottom line. And it's still to be determined, you know, like they're still in court for the PRO stuff. We don't know where that's going to land. We are all hoping that it lands in a more favorable place and it's looking like it's going to land now. But that's still a big question mark. And, and you're so, just referring to rates on payouts yes. for songwriters for streaming. Yes, yes. And licensing. And we're talking about the licensing where right now the... DOJ is proposing that you can go to, let's say BMI owns 99.9% of a song and or 99% of a song and ASCAP owns 1%. They want it to be blanket licensing. So basically you can go to ASCAP who owns 1% and they can approve on behalf of the entire song for whatever rate they decide. And it's a really scary thing because it could potentially lower the value of music even further in layman's terms we always say no listener left behind that means if there's three songwriters on a song that are all registered with a separate performing rights organization csac bmi Mm -hmm. or ascap Mm -hmm. one publisher on their end or pro company Mm -hmm. could approve it for the other and the other two writers essentially would have zero Zero say say. zero say and that may be that you know just hypothetical example ASCAP has a a relationship with somebody where they want to grant a gratis or a free use of a song. Yeah. But that just completely devalues right. what the other two writers... Yeah. And once you do it once, whoever those music partners are, they they tend to think, well, this is, how this we can is get the value now. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a scary situation. I think it's not... Obviously, like, I think the PROs aren't going to want to undervalue music any more than we are. So I do think there are some standards that will be set and there's just a lot of unknowns when it comes to that but as far as the way the music industry is changing the way streaming is being paid out and not being paid out I think what that means for my writers in my opinion is that they have to look 
for more revenue streams. And so I think gone are the days where you can be like, I'm really good at this one thing and that's it. Like I put my foot in the ground. This is, I'm known as the Christian worship lyric writer and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to do something else. You have to be a producer. You have to be able to do sync. You know, it's like whatever your talent is, like there has to be more than one bucket where you can place your talent. I think if you're going to be a full-time songwriter, in my opinion, I think as the industry changes and shrinks in a way, there's less opportunity in these little buckets. So instead of just trying to place yourself in one bucket, figure out how your skills can apply to more. How many songs a year do you think of somebody who's actually wanting to be a professional songwriter? Yeah. Who is? How many songs a year are they having to write? Well, like contractually, they're... Oh, not even that. It's just like contracts aside... Your thoughts on, hey, is 50 songs enough? Is 100 songs enough? Is 20 songs enough? I would say it's easier to say like how often you're writing a week. Hmm. I would say if you're wanting to be a full-time writer, you should be writing four days a week, if not five or six. Sure. Yeah, I think, gosh, I'm really like blessed that none of my writers have, you know, like the whole suspension thing where it's like they haven't written enough songs. I think if you're called to be a writer, like, you should feel joy and like it should just be coming out of you (laughs) right Mm. you know otherwise like maybe you're not doing the right thing right so yeah I would say I don't even know how to like guess how many songs my writers are turning in I know they're meeting their quotas thank you very much but uh (laughs) but you know like one song we think of one song is like oh I wrote this one song well in songwriter world one song is usually like you really wrote a third of a song because there's two other people in the room. So mm-hmm. it's like, I really only wrote a third of a song today, which it's hard to think of it that way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, at the end of the year, when it comes to like, how much revenue am I bringing in? Those thirds really do make a difference. Yeah. Just putting them all together. and um, You just might have to have 36 of them as, as opposed to 12. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So. so yeah, I think it's more of the time spent. Like if this is your passion, if this is what you want to do. Now granted, like... That's going to change for each person based on what your financial situation is. Like a lot of my baby riders, they have side jobs, you know, and they figure it out. They have to nanny, they have to drive Uber and, you know, they build up to something. And I always, I had to do the same thing too. You know, I worked two jobs at retail. It's just, it's just the way it goes. You have to kind of build up to something. But if you want to be a songwriter, you should be writing all the time writing down song ideas, sending song ideas to other writers, you know, connecting with other writers. Like, it's not about getting signed. It's not like once you're signed, you're a writer. It's like, no, you should already be a writer before we sign you. You should already have your own network of people. You should already have producers that you know. There's nothing stopping you, especially in the town of Nashville. There's nothing stopping you. If this is your business, I'm a writer. This is my business. You might find a partner for your business, which is what I would be. I would be your partner, but I'm partnering with your business. I'm not running your business for you. You know, like Mm -hmm. while I'm working for your business, you're also working for your business. You're also going out while I'm going out and meeting people that will help you. You're doing the same. Or as I connect people with you, you do a good job of taking care of that relationship and furthering it, you know, instead of me having to do all of it sure it's really a partnership it's your business i'm just helping you with your business this is interesting because if a writer already has their own network they have already writing they already got their thing going why have a publisher well it just depends if you think 
I think two is always better. It's completely better. not a loaded question no, at all. I get, Just... I get it. It's a great question. And I'm sure a lot of people ask that question. I think two people are better than one if it's the right two people. Mm-hmm. For my sake, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for other people. Even as scrappy as I can be and as extroverted as I can be, I have benefited through the people that I have partnered with, which are the companies that I've worked for, and the relationships that they have then introduced me to. So it's the same thing. It's like, if you feel like you're the most popular person in town and for whatever reason, like, you have all of the time to be creative, write songs, manage your catalog, set up co-writes, and extend your network. Like, first of all, I want to know your secret. And like, you've got to be on drugs because there's just <laughs> not that many hours in a day. But yeah, to me, it's just like anything. If you have someone that you really believe gets your vision and you think is well-connected or can be help your songs then it's worth partnering with someone and partnerships with publishers look like a million different things that's one of the beautiful things about publishing yeah yeah. it can be a million different things but so talk about you touched on it a little bit ago but sync film and tv writers writing is that something your writers are actively yes creating content for yep i'm kind of the liaison between our sync catalog and we have a company through sony that pitches our sync songs so you know, one thing I think every artist and every writer thinks they have songs for sync. And I will say confidently that most of them don't. And if you want to be in the sync game, first of all, it's highly competitive. Second of all, it's a genre all on its own. And if you're going to get in a room, a lot of times our artists will turn in their projects and they'll be like, this track number seven, this love song I wrote for my wife is perfect for sync because it's <laughs> about love. And it's like, No, it's not, (laughs) you know, like, you know, a lot of our artist projects are very overt in Christian lyric. And so when they get that one song that isn't, they're like, well, this is a sync song because it's not overt. It's like, no, it's not (laughs) like there is a specific way to write a sync song. And it is kind of formulaic and it is, I think, a little broader than like topically than any song that you would normally write. Mm. And every now and then you'll get lucky of just writing a song that checks off many boxes. But I think especially as you're trying to get into it, it's good to get in the room with other people that have done it and who've done it well. And it's good to write specifically for it instead of accidentally coming across one. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the boxes that need to be checked off for a sync song? Well, I think topic is the biggest thing, like keeping it broad. I mean, there's a whole lot of like hot words, I guess, or hot themes that people are always looking for, like unity or female empowerment or Like you hear titles all the time, like let's get together and let's go. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot like songs like that that aren't really about anything except for super positive. Depending on what you're writing for, that's more film and television. Then you get into the commercial world where it's very, you know, specific to what each brand wants to sound like. So you might have something that sounds super moody that's for a commercial. You might sound something that's super pop or it just depends on on what you're going for and and that is an industry that's changing a lot right now too like advertising agencies are starting to bring in their own music people like they're hiring musicians to write songs for their clients so that has affected the competition on publisher's side because because they can just say hey we make us a song that sounds like beautiful day exactly or exactly or exactly whatever that's happening all of the time and 
they have people on staff that are writing those songs for them. So, and that's another thing too, like in the sync world 10 years ago, what a big sync placement would cost would be a, a significant amount of money. And sometimes some of the big artists still get that, but as music has cost less to make, the budgets for those things have become smaller because they're like, well, this guy in his basement can make something that sounds just as good as this, you know, which there's right. pros and cons to that. Um, well, that you talked about that a little bit because if somebody pays one thing and they have to pay more for it the next time, they think it's expensive. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. it's probably the same. Totally. And the thing about sync is it's so competitive and so many people want it because it's got this like cool hip factor. It's cool to talk about like, oh, I have this song on this cool TV show. There are writers and artists that will do it for very little. And so... Well, it's publicity, right? Yeah, it's publicity in their mind. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But, you know, you may have these songs that are amazing for sync, but they're attached to these big brands that won't take anything less than such and such number. Mm -hmm. And so you're hearing a lot of you know, I guess knockoffs of these big songs because these big artists aren't going to approve the budget that is allowed. So they're like, well, fine, we'll just go write one that sounds a lot like it and it's got the same vibe and... Accomplishes the same mission. Exactly. So talk about if one of your writers writes something with an artist and the artist wants to get a sync and they're willing to basically do it for nothing. Okay. How do you approach that? Well... Or does, Every, that not, does that not usually happen? Usually not for nothing. Like, I don't know of any time where we would do it for nothing, even if it's just $500. Like, right. I think it's always a case-by-case basis. It always, you know, it depends on what we're going to get out of it. If we do feel it, sometimes it really is legitimately an opportunity where your music will be advertised. Sometimes sure. it's not. Sometimes it's just cool background music, and no one's going to go look it up. It's just cool background music. Right. And so... If we feel like it's an opportunity where we're in front of a lot of people and it's a valuable brand that we want to attach ourselves to you, then, you know, we're going to play ball on that. But we always want to, like, have the best interest of the copyright in mind, which in turn has the best interest of the writer in mind. So it is definitely a case-by-case basis. But I don't think anyone... I haven't worked with any artists that's like, yeah, give my music away for free. I mean, they've definitely wanted to do some deals that maybe weren't in their best interest in the long run as far as it relates to sync but usually at least push back you know like at least i think our job is to push for as much as we can get for something if we end up getting something lower at least we can say we fought for the <laughs> we fought for sure. the value of this and we've seen other placements there are some things it's like trailers and things like that we're never going to go below a certain amount because we just know what they're worth and if once we start getting it lower than that, like I said earlier, they're going to start expecting it. So you just have to be careful yeah. how you value music. Yeah. And- yeah. That's really good. So that's a little bit in the weeds. I'd love to just zoom out and go back to, because I'm picturing you walking back into Providence after you said 14 years. Uh, it was 12 years when I walked back in. 12 yep. years since, since, since you've been, been back, in there. Yep. So, and this could speak to maybe the younger listeners who are listening to our show. What are some of the things that you take in this time around? Mm-hmm. Like maybe not even specific little things, but just things about you that you have this time that you didn't have that you maybe wish you had when you started out. Sure. Man, I think there are some things that come with time that you couldn't have had the first time around. I think just like a confidence of 
just knowing who I am, where my identity is. <laughs> you know, the music industry, even on Christian side, it can be consuming. It can be, I've learned a lot of lessons personally of just like, this isn't who I am. Like, mm. as cool as this is, and as much as I've always wanted this job, like, it's just my job. Sure. And I still, first and foremost, have been put on this planet to serve God and to love others. And mm. if that happens to be in the form of working in the music industry, great. And if not, then great, you know? Yeah. And that took me a very long time to kind of get to that place of just like, you know, God, whatever you want to do, I'm on board. And however you want to use me, I'm on board. And so I think once you reach that place of just unsurety and and just completely trusting, <laughs> like, okay, this path has not been what I thought it was going to be. Like, yeah. I would have never, I'm so grateful to be where I am, but I would have never taken the path that God took me on to get to it. And so once you get to that place of just trusting God and like just being confident, like this is who I am. Like I'm not perfect. Nobody in this industry can say confidently yes or no to things. Nothing's black or white. Like, which is why I love just the freedom of like every person that comes through my door, whether I end up working with them in an official or not like I feel like God is intentional I feel like mm -hmm. in every meeting that I take whether it's I meet you once or I meet you twice or I end up working with you I feel like God is intentional in that meeting and not just so much for oh hey I can impart my wisdom on you but also like what God can teach me and the people that I'm meeting with I feel like there's so many times I've come out of like oh so and so wants you to meet with their cousin's daughter and you're like mm. oh my gosh but so many times I've come out of those meetings and just know that like God was purposeful in that meeting and it really taught me something and I also like I love the fact that I can help people um I love that God has given me the ability to be in this industry for so long that I can hopefully like I said connect people that's my favorite thing so whatever capacity that is if it's on an independent level of this new baby writer or artist coming in, connecting them with another new baby writer artist so they can kind of like be in the throes of it together. So mm. so I think the biggest thing I've learned is that like really it's not about me. I have no gifts greater than anyone else given. Mm. God has just put me in this place and he is the one that's given me the ability to do what I do daily. And that's it. That's the end of it. Like any anything that I've been a part of that has been successful has been because of him. And I'm grateful to be a part of the ride. But that sounds so obvious and like so uber spiritual. But like starting off as a 23-year-old kid who probably had moments of thinking like, oh, I'm really good at this. And this is why I am where I am. It's a really great thing to know like, at the end of the day, it's not up to me. And like, I can't make this happen or make this not happen, but I can show up daily and I can do my job in a sense of like being present and being open to what God wants and, and being prayerful. Like, yeah. okay, God, like, yeah. I don't know what to do with this writer or this artist. Like, can you help me? Cause I have no idea. Yeah. And then time after time again, God shows up and, and an opportunity comes up that I'm like, oh my gosh, guess this opportunity didn't become for myself. It, ultimately always comes from God. Everything good comes from right. God, right? So yeah, that's the biggest lesson coming back, like this new fresh start of just, man, just like a really healthy perspective of where my identity is. And it's not in the fact that I'm a Christian music 
mm. employee. It's the fact that I am a child of God and that he has placed me on this earth to love him. And I love to get the opportunity to love others in the capacity of Christian music and creatives. And I, it's, it's an honor. So yeah, that's phenomenal. Well, I know you're a busy person, so thank you so much for taking the time to come in and just share with our listeners today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Head over and leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already done so. Share the show with a friend. And if you're not registered on our newsletter, text P-R-O-D-U-C-E to the numbers 44222. And we'll get you registered as well as sending you info on our music production mastery course. We'll see you next week.